Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey gang, good news. The Aer Lingus College Football Classic is back in Dublin at the Aviva Stadium this summer, the 24th of August, Florida State, Georgia Tech. I'm going to be there. Propos in the house. We'll get Ben as well. Hey, we might even drag Carlson with us this time. So if you want to be there too, head on over to collegefootballisland.com, collegefootballisland.com, register interest. You'll be the first in the queue for tickets. We'll see you there. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show. It is our midweek special. Delighted to say that Sky Sports and ESPN's Sam Tai. I can't believe we haven't ever had him on the pod before. That is remiss of us. And sometimes it, I guess it's been a scheduling issue, but we got him now. We got him now. And what a week to get him. Talking up the 49ers matchup. We'll get his take on everything Detroit. We'll hear from Will Gavin as well. One of the Talk Sport crew, of course, are going to be out at the Super Bowl with Will and with the coach, Jeff Reinbold. Breaking news there. Cannot wait. We'll be broadcasting that live from Vegas with Prop O in control of that. So that is all to come. Will's going to drop by and give us his take on everything ahead of the big game. We are going to get into the NFC Championship in full detail. We'll break down the AFC big show with me and Prop O and Ben on Edge Rush later on in the week. But for now, sit back an hour with the brilliant Santa. Sam, it's great to see you. We should open things up by letting our listeners into a little secret. Uh, You are now daddy, Ty. Congratulations, (laughs) man. Two weeks are going strong. So are you getting any much, any kip at all? What's 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 the MO there? Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers. Um, nice intro, isn't it? Um, a little congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'm getting some sleep. Not loads, but some. I think I'm getting more than my wife, but that is the way it goes in the first couple of weeks, isn't it? I hope you are sharp here because now we should probably paint the picture for listeners that Sam and I have known each other a long time. We've worked together uh, over the years on football. And Sam, of course, is known as as one of the leading football journalists and broadcasters in this country. And actually, you've got a, a big international reach as well. And that's where we first started working together, right? On Bleacher Report. We we did a yep. year. We got a year, a year's tour of duty on Bleacher, doing all kinds of good stuff. And 
we discover pretty quickly our, our, our mutual love of, of the NFL and yours of the Lions, of course. And, and that is what we're going to get into in particular today, given it's a huge weekend for, for Detroit. So we, we've known each other a while. This is the first time you've been on the show. And I'm quite surprised that being a new dad, being a, an NFL fan, American sports fan, we're in the, the depths, the deep waters of the playoffs. And you have missed an obvious trick. An obvious trick, Sam. Where just take the night shift. This why are you not, <laughs> why have you not established this with Mrs. Ty? What what is all this? Oh, she does the nights, and I'll get sorted in the mornings. I mean, that's a rookie error, mate. To be honest. Well, look. I mean, if I was still on paternity leave, and you know, my son was my sole focus, then that would make sense. But unfortunately, this week I am having to return to work um, only two weeks after my son's birth. But yeah, it's going to have to happen. And so as a freelancer, you know, I don't get any proper pay, any paternity. Take but, the gig. I mean, I've actually I actually signed off work basically on the December the 22nd, had Christmas off and then couldn't be bothered to start back up again for a week because I knew my son would be born <laughs> early January. Yeah. So I've had I've earned nothing for a month, mate. So I hope the paycheck for this is pretty strong. Oh, massive. <laughs> well, I have to check what Ollie's got left in the in the bank. Obviously heading to Vegas imminently. I'm yeah. a bit worried that Ollie's drawn all the money from the NT Show bank account putting it all on red, of course. And we still haven't actually got into that how dangerous Propo in Vegas is going to be. It's gonna be. I'm, I'm mildly <laughs> terrified about that. Look, it's it's great to have you on. Just leading off, and obviously as a Detroit fan, along with our friend Marek Larwood, of course, who yep. uh, we will be checking in with very soon too. Uh, would you say that if Detroit go on, not only to win this weekend, but go on and somehow win the Super Bowl, would that surpass the happiest moment of your life hitherto, which I guess is becoming a dad a couple of weeks ago, if Detroit win the Super Bowl, are you going to be even happier than you are now with that moment? Why are you asking me such tough questions? <laughs> <laughs> you have to think about it, don't you? Sort of. I mean, no, I don't. I think officially, I don't yeah. know if my wife can hear me, officially, <laughs> the day that my son was born still technically the happiest day of my life. Joint, uh, will with, it be joint first? Uh, along, with, along with my wedding day. Okay, you got a trifecta. I think she can hear me, so I'm just saying all these things. Um, but look, the 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 fandom of the Detroit Lions, like it started in 2011, so it's been it's been over a decade now. But you know, I'm I'm it's my second sport. Um, I'm a I'm a soccer football journalist, um, and I watch tons and tons of football and cover that sport. So NFL takes a bit of a side seat. So while I I am clearly a Lions fan and like I've done my I've done my stint of staying up till 4.30 in the morning only for Justin Tucker to kick a 63 yarder and for me to kick the oven in in response and wake is my that, wife up at the time you, you, what, yes, why I, the oven why did you uh, kick the oven I was uh, it was nearest to me <laughs> it was nearest <laughs> yeah, to okay. me look I've done I've done that I've done those I've paid my dues on that one so oh, um, you know I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear listeners uh the the most aggro you've got with a with a heartbreaking defeat. So yeah. what have you Sam Ty's kicked an oven? Can you top Sam, Sam Ty <laughs> in that agonizing, just lashing out? Yeah, well, the fact that it's at that point, it's it's half four in the morning, so you're you're not quite thinking straight anyway. So that's probably why that yeah. happened. I like to think I'm a bit of a calm guy, but yeah, it, Justin Tucker got to the, he got to me that night, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so look, we've we've paid the dues, seen a lot of losses, a lot of bad seasons, a lot of injuries, a lot of. A lot, a lot of bizarre officiating. You know, I know everyone thinks that they're the beleaguered club, but like the Dallas thing the other week was really weird. Do you remember the 10 second runoff at Seattle? And there was no time left in the game. Oh, God, so the yeah, Lions yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And, and I know that like, obviously everyone thinks it it's, it's, it's always us. It's always me. Everyone thinks that. I know that from, from soccer. But 
looking at some of the comments from the Bucks fans, you know, post game on the weekend, some of the comments were like, ah, I think, I think maybe the officiating was a little bit one-sided there towards the Lions, but I'm fine with it because that is literally the first time that has ever happened to that franchise in the history. <laughs> sure. So they deserve one. And even the Bucks fans were like, it's about time the rest, the rest, you know, maybe gave the Lions the, the rub Leveled of the green there. And so like I've gone through all that. And while I am, you know, estranged, I am afar. I've never been to Ford Field, although I have seen the Lions twice at Wembley, which mm. is cool. Um, I'm a fan. But I still never really feel like I'm I'm fully fully engaged in there, and so I would play a, a Super Bowl win would be unbelievable, but it can't quite hit those heights. Is that a diplomatic answer? Unbelievably yeah. so, genius! Yeah. You kind of covered both bases there. The Lions yeah. faithful will respect that answer. You're definitely yeah. sorted yeah. with the misses. Good, all good. <laughs> uh, but it's it's interesting. It's such an interesting franchise, isn't it? And it's one that I have a, I think a strong affinity with because when I first fell in love with the game and the Barry Sanders era of course and one of the all-time greats and uh, and of course knowing Marek for 20 years and mm. uh, and and going through the lows and the even lows with him like I've always had a soft spot for the Lions I think a lot of I guess a lot of fans have and I don't mean that in a patronizing way oh the Lions because it is an unbelievable fan base it, it has been a series of um either dysfunction or disappointment when maybe it's you know the Stafford era was was fascinating and there were flashes when when it might come together and and actually without the the, the deep history of Miami quite a lot of, a lot of parallels in the last 20 20 odd years really just not ever contending to any credible degree yeah. so yeah. to see the Lions now in a championship game I think most neutrals most neutrals are pulling Put yeah. in for you guys. I think I think you're getting a lot of that sentiment from across the across America as well. Like, yeah, I, I think I've joked with you that we are now America's team. Yeah, um, <laughs> and and, yeah. and and it's that a lot of people have just watched what the Lions have gone through, and you know all of those horrible records. You know, going zero and sixteen, um, having just in the last two weeks snapped the longest active run without a playoff win. You know, those sorts of things. Like, you just get sympathy. Mm. It's it's not condescending and it's not patronizing. It's like. Damn, that sucks, bro. Like, like yeah. a, ge a genuine damn, that sucks. And particularly and... in the NFL, right? Because and to to connect, you know, both sports and your, as you said, your main sport being football. I know there are exceptions to this, but but typically, the, it is more common prevalent for a team to go for so long without West Ham, for a perfect example, right? <laughs> and and again, that we think about the the joy of the of the European Trophy last season was particularly sweet because of, of that barren spell but the nfl in principle i know the super bowl obviously there are a collection of franchises that have never won the super bowl but it's highly unusual to go for so long with such little success that's it's not built that way <laughs> is it so it's, I think it's, it's hard it's hard to be that unsuccessful because if you keep getting handed first round draft picks you are supposed to get good yeah Oh, sorry, first first picks, not first round picks, first picks, and yeah, and 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 the Lions got a succession of those, right? But actually, you know, just just to make it all about Detroit once more, Detroit got given a ton of first picks and second picks before the I think it's the CBA, right? The collective bargaining mm -hmm. agreement came in, so before the wages all got lowered, so yeah, suddenly, yeah. suddenly Detroit got saddled with like four mega salaries. It was like seventy five percent of their cap was four players because they were all number one picks, and then it all changed. Like, <laughs> so yeah, even that then. You can't even get the rest of the team together because Dama can sue Nick Fairley and Matthew Stafford account for 65% of your payroll. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, you know what? I was with um, I was with Jabel uh, last night because we were doing um, like a Q and A thing at this this swanky joint at textbook Jabel, like super swanky joint in Mayfair. Mm. A Q and A with with the members, which was a lot of fun. He was talking about Sue, and I rem- I'd forgotten. Well, forgotten. I just hadn't recollected it for a while. But there was one Super Bowl, which I think was the power outage Super Bowl that I yeah. wasn't in the states for the game. I wasn't broadcasting it that year because of some rights thing. And I was so I was hosting the NFL UK party at Coco venue in Camden, right? It used to be Camden Palace. Now it's called mm-hmm. Coco these days. I think it might have been just called Coco then. And and the special guest was I think it was Dominican Sue, mm. who was at that stage maybe a rookie or still kind of early into his career. And I hadn't so I hadn't seen any of his broadcast apps. I don't know if he'd done any broadcasting, but um I was intrigued as to how what kind of character he was going to be and how that was going to yeah. go. And as we're seeing now on, on Sky Sports, of course, and his appearances there, so chilled, mild-mannered, yeah. unbelievably sharp, and was w- one of the biggest surprises I've had. Pre-player, pre-meeting a player, what am I thinking he's going to be like to actually meeting him? And he's completely different. Seems like a big friendly bear, doesn't he? Um, yeah. But we all know, we all watched him, right? And, and this is one of those things where, like, as a Lions fan, I used to defend him to the end of the earth. Even when he was stamping on Aaron Rodgers' calf, I was like, he didn't mean it, he didn't mean it, he didn't mean it. He is innocent. But we all know what we're watching. And it's a bit like how Liverpool fans used to defend Luis Suarez for, you know, all of his antics right. and stuff. And then as soon as he leaves, they'll go, oh, that guy's a piece of work, isn't he? <laughs> It's what fandom does to us. It is. It is. Hey, listen. Let's let's drill down into a bit more detail into this this fantastic Lions team because mm. it is that it's not just the hard luck stories and the and the years in the wilderness that does contribute, I think, to the affection that a lot of people have for this team. But it's obviously the swagger, the energy, um, yeah. and that is led by by Dan Campbell. So let's start with him when he got the gig, and of course the the infamous presser and we've all been yep. down that road of how hyped he was. And as somebody who is incredibly sophisticated in terms of your football analysis and strategy, and, you know, I, I want to paint this picture for our listeners that I that had the pleasure of working with you as a safe for a year at Bleacher and just hearing you break stuff down the, the X's and O's equivalent in terms of football. I mean, you are somebody that really gets detailed strategy and game planning did you look at an appointment like Dan Campbell, who at the beginning on the surface felt like the diametric opposite of that and thought, oh, oh God, this is just a an unreconstructed throwback kind of coach that's going to last five minutes? Or did you read it a little bit differently? No, yeah, I was worried. Uh, <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was worried. I mean, he's, it's just, it's heart on the sleeve stuff. It's right. Emotions in the open and it's never really changed. Okay. He hasn't threatened to bite anyone's kneecaps off in a while. Um, coincidentally, like last week was basically the three year anniversary of that, right? Bang on the moment that we actually won the divisional round. So that, that sort of brought, yeah. that brought it through full circle, the three year projects of that's where it started. And this is where we are now. And that's the progress that everyone has made in the, in the time that's passed. It's amazing. But yeah, I think when you get someone that is so overly passionate like that, it, it, it can be a little bit of a worry. I think we do associate with coaches and managers and things like that, that you need to be emotionally quite reserved, at least in public, um, to make sure that you don't get on the wrong side of the press, to make sure that you don't say the wrong thing in the heat of the moment. But the three-year report on Dan Campbell is that he is highly emotional, cries quite a lot, um, loses his voice every single week, um, <laughs> screams bloody murder, 
at the referees, but then at the end of the game, shakes their hand and smiles at them. Mm. And the players would all die for him. Uh, right. That's that's very, very clear. I think so that, all... I want to get into that because, again, this was a topic that came up coincidentally last night with Jay Bell in the Q&A because he knows Antonio Pierce really well because they played together at the Giants. And I've been a big staunch supporter of Pierce since, uh, well, God, since he was a player, got the gig, uh, interim gig in Vegas, and now, of course, has got it full time. And I think that's a, a, a great decision particularly because the players want to play for him. They, yep. and, and there's a limitation there, I guess, especially when you're an interim coach, not far removed from playing, that there's a slightly snidey patronizing perception. And of course, Campbell was was uh, in, in cut from the same cloth as, as a former player that, yeah, the players like you because they can see so many parallels because you're one of them, but there's a ceiling in terms of your tactical now. So your ability to be an efficient head coach in the modern NFL now, do you think there is a role, whether that's true of Pierce or Campbell, and I don't think it is with either actually, but let's just play that through. You have a head coach who is demonstrably able to galvanize, to motivate, to connect on a personal level, on a routine basis with players, which I think is becoming increasingly important to be able to do, Mm -hmm. and to have an overall vision and game plan and then surround yourself with brilliant tacticians in the coordinator and, and and associated positions. Do you think we're going to see more of that? Can that succeed in the league? Or do you still need a balance where you might be the most charismatic guy in the room, but you also need a fair amount of tactical savvy as well? I think I think you can still work it both ways, but it's, it's undoubtedly the case that Dan Campbell doesn't need to be a good play caller. Mm. Um, all he needs to be is a great emotional leader. And someone that can keep his cool when he needs to, lose his rag when he needs to, but always judge the right situation, judge the right tone, and always connect with the players and set a standard. And like I think this this journey obviously started three years ago, but for a lot of people it started two years ago with the hard knocks thing, mm. and everyone saw him joining in with the burpees, yeah, and like absolutely killing himself doing the morning workouts with the players. And you know it just gains their respect, right? If not their intrigue, then definitely their respect. And you hear all these players talking about him and you hear the players say stuff like, um, you know, I'd die for him, I'd run through walls for him. But then you hear things like um, Jameson Williams, really, really topsy-turvy first year and a half with the Lions. Obviously, ACL, draft ACL, uh, torn ACL, and and then a suspension for gambling, which Mm. was reduced. He comes in after week six. It's not for four weeks more that he really starts to see the ball. But after four weeks, someone in the locker room, I can't remember who it was, basically announced that he had earned their trust. So for four weeks, he was eligible, practicing, playing, but they wouldn't throw him the ball really. And they wouldn't really do anything with him. But four weeks later, he'd clearly done enough. He'd hit the standards that Dan Campbell has set Mm. that everybody follows. And then the locker room as a whole said, we like you, you're cool. You can stay. Mm. And bang, he starts making plays and he feels like one of the herd. And the herd is a, is, a, is a term that Dan Campbell uses a lot. It's a great point, you know, and I really underestimated because, because again, without laboring my first point, I think the um, complexity of the motivational and the environmental setting role is is underestimated. Because you think about someone like Bill Walsh, for example, and it it's a point that, that we've talked about a fair bit on on the show over the years when you talk about creating a culture and creating mm-hmm. um a top to bottom and i'm going to get the receptionist and the 
you know, everyone in the medical team and everybody in the canteen and every, not just my, my 53 man roster and my coaching stuff, all understanding the same vision, right. And, and pulling the same way, easier said than done. It makes a lot of sense. It sounds good on paper. How do you actually practically yeah. apply that? And I guess in this, in this era, when, Dealing with players is different now. Do you think that's true in football as well? Oh, definitely, mate. Definitely, there's a huge parallel here. I think I think the top managers, the top managers in soccer, are all very, very strong emotional leaders as well. In in different ways, some of them are louder, some of them are quieter. But why is it that Zinedine Zidane could manage Galactico after Galactico after Galactico because he can empathise, because he can connect. And why is it that Jose Mourinho nowadays maybe isn't quite so good? Mm. And I'm convinced it's because. He cannot connect to players or they are not responding to him in the same way that they were in 2004 because 18, 19, 25-year-olds now are different to what they were in 2004. Mentality-wise, yeah. emotionally, it's all different. So I think at the top level of both sports, I think you have to be a very emotionally savvy and be able to connect and be able to create, a, you know, as you say, like a culture and a structure that they can thrive in. And if you can't do that, then you can't create the right, the right workplace environment. Mm -hmm. And then it's not all on Dan Campbell either, right? It's it's, it's Sheila Ford Hamp, obviously, yeah, re renovating the, the franchise. She's got she's been given a lot of flowers over the last couple of weeks, and she does she deserves them um, because the Ford family took a lot of flack for well, they were perceived to be not not interested, didn't care. We suck. Who cares? The, the Fords don't care. <sighs> Sheila's. You know, prove that wrong at least, mm. or or has or has turned that corner, and then Brad Holmes as well. Obviously, an amazing drafter, an amazing strategist, and they're all they're all you know emotionally simpatico, and it's it's great. You know, on that, and just again connecting both both lanes for a minute, we see if Man United, I guess, the, uh, the obvious example in recent years, right, of huge club, shitloads of money, abject failure by their by their. The yep. high standards right whereas you contrast that with a team like i don't know bayern is that a good example where there is just a road you tell me you're, you're you're better versed in this than i am but teams that have a really clear uniform vision and a united vision no pun intended of uh, <laughs> uh of the cohesion and connection between personnel and front office uh and recruitment i should say and, and front office and coaching and the kind of player we want, Klopp in Liverpool, I guess, knows exactly the kind of, even to yeah. an extent, you know, what's happening with my mighty West Ham and, and the recruitment and the connection there. This is the team yeah. that Aston, always wants Aston Villa and Brighton are, yeah. are really, are really like, you maybe just look a bit lower, but you see the teams rising up and you've got, you've got Villa and Brighton, you've got Liverpool. Um, these are all really good examples of, of yeah, um, teams that are connected top to bottom and look at the difference. And, and you, you hear about it six months later as well. You always hear about it. Just take the video example, John McGinn recently talking about how two years ago the, the, the atmosphere at the club was terrible. That's the that's the go-to phrase. The atmosphere at the club was terrible. As you say, how do you fix it? Easier said than done. Mm. But sometimes these teams hit gold or they get the right structure in place and everything starts to flow through. And, and, and that is ultimately what's happened with the Lions. And what's most important here is that they put this together. Sheila Ford-Hamp, Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell, Jared Goff, reset. They went 3-13 and one in the first season. That is a terrible record, right? That sucks. They were undeterred. Yeah. They did. No, no Aaron, Glenn, Aaron, Glenn, Aaron Glenn was a defensive coordinator, still is. Ben Johnson was then promoted to offensive coordinator, having been on the staff already. The personnel did not change. No one panicked. Mm. No one broke the glass. There was no emergency. They were like, no, no, we're good. Like, mm. yeah, we have a lack of talent, obviously, 313 and one. But we are, we're in the, we are we are looking good here. 
we are mm. improving we're on an upward curve and they didn't panic and like i feel like there are other franchises who would put all that together go 313 and want to go blow it up reset get rid yeah, yeah. For sure. And although uh, the one, I completely agree with that. The one, and by the way, was my Bayern Munich comparison terrible? Because that's just a look on oh, your face. Just, there's a lot yeah. of infighting at Bayern okay, Munich. Fine. You know, someone's, one of the owners is always facing charges and Oliver Kahn's having a fit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bad example. You know what I mean? The the, the European power, powerhouses that yeah. have a consistency of vision. And as you say, the aren't knee jerk is, is the, the example I was reaching for. On uh, the flip side of that, and the last part on Campbell, and then we'll get into get into the, the big game in a bit more detail. He didn't blink when he had to make a tough decision. So Aubrey Pleasant, I remember the the secondaries coach, bam, yeah. gone, and everyone yeah. was shit. <laughs> Campbell's yeah. got that that tough side, and I thought that that was a really important chapter in in his evolution. Okay, so against the 49ers, given everything we've just been talking about for the last twenty minutes and change, is it a free hit because you're massive underdogs, or is it going to be? real heartbreak if you don't win because i guess if it's a free hit a genuine free hit you're like well but at this stage or can it be both are they maybe they're not no, I mean, it's 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 only it's only a free hit if ultimately you get blown out because that's mm. how you 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 cope with it emotionally but like yes obviously the lions are underdogs i think the seven point line is too high but obviously the lions are the least talented team of these two and they're the underdogs but that doesn't mean it can't be heartbreak for one reason or another. Because if the game is in the balance with four minutes to go and the Lions lose, that is heartbreak regardless of what has happened, right? right. And all of these games, like, I know obviously we had a few blowouts on the wildcard weekend, which were a bit disappointing. But like, these games at this stage of the season are won by a score one way or the other. And yeah. that's what that has been the case with the Lions in the last two games. Obviously, with against LA, it was a point. Tampa Bay, I we I always felt like we were in control of that game, but it was only sorted with about four minutes to go. And they st still only won by a score. And Baker obviously throws that pick, charging for what would have been potentially eight points and a tie. These games are tight. Mm. And when you play with, uh, with such fine margins, heartbreak is always just around the corner now <laughs> with this team apparently uh it it feels oh god i mean it, it feels like more likely that it's gonna be a last second field goal than it is a blowout i kind of of course of course and so right so it, while it won't be heartbreak it, it doesn't change the fact that like sorry it, while it could be heartbreak it won't change the fact that like at the end of the day, after a couple of days when the dust yeah. settles, if the Lions have lost, it's still a season that we're all tremendously proud of. Right. Right. So even if we lose for the last second field goal and don't go to the Super Bowl, we are all still two days later, we're all grinning ear to ear. Right. I think, you know, Green Bay fans and there were there were a bunch in the room last night. That's their vibe already. You know, they've already yeah. kind of got over it. Of course, they were disappointed with the manner at which they ran them so close. And I mean, on that, let's look at that in in context of this game, how much cause for optimism did that game give you? Or are you worried that given the dysfunction of Purdy for most of the game, the fact that they were uncharacteristically fragile at times defensively, obviously Greenlaw came up trumps at the end, but the the Packers were hurting them. Do you look at that and think, okay, we got a shot here or Oh God, <laughs> they're going to flex. They're, they're not going to have two games like this in a row. I think, well, good teams don't tend to play like that twice in a row, do they? Um, and and to bring it back to the Lions briefly, we didn't lose us. We didn't lose two consecutive games all season. Mm. Um, every time we lost one, we bounced straight back and we won it. And had it not been for some Dallas home cooking, we'd be on a six game win streak. So 
<laughs> as much as I, I I fear the Niners sort of snapping back, you have to you have to you know bring yourself back, and you have to respect the fact that this Detroit team is is really hard to beat, um, and is mentally very very stable. Um, but yeah, I've I've struggled with it because I've been trying to figure out just how good the Packers are because they're such a weird team and that they've grown so much through the course of the season. I remember us going to Lambeau in like week three and pretty much just walking them off the field. Yeah. Like it was easy. We took the lead and we just ran the clock out and they had no reply. And by the time they came back to our place on Thanksgiving and ruined Thanksgiving for all of America, thanks very much, <laughs> they were a completely different side. And then watching them just destroy the Cowboys, yeah, you're like, well, hang on a minute, you know, what's going on here? So it, the way these teams change over the course of the season makes it really hard for me to genuinely gauge who's good against who, what, what's worrying, what's concerning, what yeah. isn't. Let's let's key in on the areas that you can damage this this San Francisco side theoretically anyway, right? Because if you look statistically, actually both teams stack up really well in terms of DVOA. So the Lions offense, top five offense in DVOA, and we know there's a lot of attention on the offense, of course, because of the rehabilitation of golf, the ground game, uh, Jameer bring, I think, a sensational yep. draft pick. Carlson and I got into that on the show on yeah, Monday. I, heard. I, I was screaming halfway through the game, the divisional game. I was like, why have we not used Gibbs more? Give him yeah. the ball more. Because he really came into that second half and just took it away from them. Big time. Just, yeah, he's a player that has consistently developed throughout the course of the season is getting stronger and stronger and feels like, and timing is so important, of course, mm -hmm. in the playoffs, feels like that ground game with the Montgomery tag team is really chiming. Mm -hmm. And let's start there because that is, if you look look at the the numbers and indeed, I guess what the Packers managed to do so effectively in the divisional round, the 49ers have a top 5D in terms of DVOA, top 5D in terms of pass defense, but it drops tangibly when it comes to run D. They're 15th, which, okay, yeah. is, is tidy enough, but... It is clearly an area that they can be exploited and clearly a strong suit for the Lions right now. So how integral is that going to be? If And obviously it's going to be important, but is there a sense that if you can't get the ground game going to a top level degree, all bets are off? A bit, yeah. I mean, I know everyone says this, but the Lions really are a, a running team. That's the identity. And 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 obviously being able to run the ball and, and get first downs means that you can control time of possession and you can control the clock. You And you can, if, you, if you're in a lead, you can hold on to a lead. The Lions are good at all of these things because the O-line is either the best or the second best in the league. I don't know for sure, but it's top, it's top two um, with all those guys, although Jonah yeah. Jackson is going to be injured. So that is a, a massive blow, but Ragnar will be fine. Yeah. He, could he could break both legs. He'd still be out there. Um, and <laughs> yeah. Penny Sewell and Taylor Decker are, are incredible. And obviously you've got this one-two punch combo. And the, the point I want to make about the, the running backs is that I know that it looks like the classic tandem of um, of the kind of like, uh, what do they call it? Um, Thunder and Lightning, mm. where Montgomery is the, is the big bad beast and, and Jimmy is the scatty back. The great thing about these two players is that they can actually perform each other's roles. Yeah, right. They don't, they don't like Montgomery doesn't often, you know, go out into the flat and catch a pass, but he can. And obviously, Jameer Gibbs can run between the tackles mm. and can push the pile. He's got some serious legs on him. So what we had before when we had Jamal Williams and everyone was really surprised that we let Jamal Williams leave because he scored like 155 touchdowns. Sure. But that, that was because of the O-line. Um, he only scored one, didn't he, last season? I think he and won. Swift as well. You dealt, which was I think yeah. at the time. Both the, thing, the, yeah. the, the thing about these two players was that if Jamal Williams was in the lineup, you knew what was coming, mm. and if Swift was in the lineup, you probably knew what was coming. 
you cannot say that you know for sure that Montgomery will run between the tackles and mm. you cannot say at all that Jameer Gibbs will be running outside because both can do other either either thing. So you've got a real flexibility and versatility here that keeps defences off balance. Then you add in the offensive line, which is top tier. Mm. And that is why we make so many holes in defences. And that ultimately is, is, is what we need to establish. Because if Jared Goff has to pass too much, and remember that Goff at home is a whole different kettle of fish to, to Goff away. Right. Like the, the drop-off is absolutely massive. We cannot forget this. And the, the playoff games so far have all taken place at Ford Field. If if Goff gets pushed into difficult scenarios and he has to win consistently with his arm, then we're starting to run into a bit of trouble. Let's look, at, let's look him, at some detail there. because And I'm glad you mentioned pressure because that's something I, I think is... Mm, an interesting aspect of Goff's game. So firstly, the difference between home and away, which is true with most quarterbacks, right? Yeah. Also with pressure, teams. by the way, everyone hates true. pressure. Everyone hates pressure. And actually that's that's when we get to pressure is the point I wanted to, to get into. But on home versus away, this is via the athletic, Goff 8.1 yards per attempt when indoors, which is the 94th in the NFL, to six and a half per attempt on natural grass, and that's 25th. So big drop-off there, although it's worth pointing out that we're not going to be getting buffalo weather, we think, in Santa Clara, or indeed rain in, in Santa Clara, which really affected Purdy last time out. Um, it looks like it will be relatively clement. On the the um, golf struggles under pressure, you, you make a great point, because you hear this trotted out a lot. Virtually every quarterback... <laughs> Struggles under pressure. It's a couple of freaks that don't, but everybody's numbers drop. PFF, and I know that their metrics are sometimes criticized and flawed. PFF have Goff top six under quarterback under pressure this season. Mm -hmm. So his numbers do drop uh, in, in a lot of different areas. So completion percentage, he's 14th. Yards per attempt, 13th. Uh, 14th in terms of touchdowns under pressure. You know, So it's not drastic, but clearly compared to where he is, from a clean pocket, different level, but overall, the, pro the problem is it's random. It's completely random. I don't. I can't even say that it's definitely just like home and away with regard to him performing under pressure. Mm. Like he is a different player home and away. Of course, he's a different player under pressure and not. But when that, like, it's totally random when he drops off. Like it was the Thanksgiving game where he just had a nightmare. Yeah, and he's and and the, one of the games against the Bears, he just had a nightmare. Maybe it's the NFC North games, but mm -hmm. like it's not necessarily like it doesn't follow one rule or the other just every now and then like every six games <laughs> um he he just does a half of mind melting and it's yeah. like no one can really get to the bottom of it and of course no one's perfect of course but the problem is we can't explain it and then the next half rolls around you know half time happens 15 minutes goes by and it's all fixed mm. <laughs> It's all yeah. gone. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me in a way, given what we know about Goff and have watched him over the years. It doesn't surprise me that he is that kind of confidence player that he has these just erratic games mm. where he's not at the races. And if ostensibly his head goes, right, he yeah. he feels like that kind of player. And I guess that's one of the, the biggest fears you must have and the Lions fan base must have, that even though you love Goff, and, and we love the fact you love Goff, we love the fact that you're cheering his name and, He's the comeback kid and good good on him and good luck to him. And I will be rooting for him very loudly on Sunday. But 
is there a fear that oh god we're going to see like a four interception meltdown from Goff, or is that gone now? Do you guys? No, beyond that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's that bad because I say he does have a bit of a goldfish memory in that while he does have a bit of a mind melt, it doesn't last more than a half. He usually mm. bounces back out of it within the same game, so he doesn't just like you don't just write off an entire game except the one against Baltimore the, early this season, but. I'll say I don't think we all truly appreciated how good Baltimore were at that point, mm-hmm. and we got up. We, we like we were like fourteen down within like five minutes, and it was kind of over. Um, we're worried that he will have a wobble, and that he will that we'll have you know the third quarter, which the Lions call the third quarter. Um, he's never <laughs> ever any good in the third quarter, um, but he doesn't give out. He doesn't ship a whole game. Which is more than you can say for a lot of people, I guess. So yeah. while he he may have a wobble, he will come out of it within the same game and mm. give us a chance to, to to correct some issues. Now, Sam, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break, uh, get some messages from our sponsors. On the other side, we're going to hear from my talk sport colleague, Will Gavin, 49ers fan, of course. He's going to give us his read on the game, particularly from a 49ers perspective. So stay with us. Welcome back to the NC Show. Sam Tai in the house. I mentioned my talk sport colleague, Will Gavin. We're going to be out in Vegas, of course, along with the coach, Jeff Reinbold. That is the talk sport broadcast crew. Propo will be in the house as well. We'll be live on talk sport for the big show coming from Vegas. Cannot wait for that. Let's get Will's take now on the game. He is, of course, as many of you will know, a massive 49ers fan. I broadcast the 49ers Chief Super Bowl with him in Miami a few years back and and it was heartbreak for him. So uh, even though I want the Lions for Sam, for Marek, for all the reasons we said to, to go well, kind of rooting if uh, the 49ers do get to the Super Bowl for whoever they face in the AFC, just to put a smile on Will's face because they kind of deserves that. Uh, let's get his take on this big game though. Here's Will Gavin. Well, let's start off with reasons to be cheerful, confident, and feeling positive going into the weekend. Uh, this 49ers team have been one of the favourites, if not the favourite in the NFL, for good reason this year. Uh, a historically efficient offence, so many great weapons, a defence that's just as stacked and loaded and has turned up in some big spots this year as well. I also think the result against Green Bay last weekend and the manner of the victory could be a positive for this team. The way that Purdy turned up in the fourth quarter after being so wobbly for the first three. The fact that they had a come-from-behind victory, something they've not really done in the Shanahan era very often. And the fact that, you know, their smallest victory, of margin of victory of this season was a full touchdown. Seven points against the Rams back in week three. So, actually showing that they could win a tight game, showing that they could win a close game, I think was really, really important. Reasons I have some concerns this weekend against the Lions. Firstly, Shanahan going into his shell a little bit this past weekend. He's been much better with his trust of Purdy in being more confident and more aggressive on offense. At the end of both halves last Sunday, he really reined in. He went for short, slow, long drives. He didn't go out and try and gain extra possessions and try and go and win the game on the front foot, and that is what Dan Campbell will do. Dan Campbell will look for extra possessions. The Lions know they're the underdogs. They understand that they are the less talented squad on paper. So what they're going to do is they're going to go for high-variance plays, which if they fall in their favour, you know, we're talking fourth-down conversions, uh, fake punts, trick plays, those kind of things, you know, aggressive blitzing, trying to force turnovers, those high-variance things, which, yes, could act in their negative 
over the course of the game. But if they have a few break their way, could be the thing that closes the gap between them and the 49ers. And we know that Dan Campbell's way more aggressive than Kyle Shanahan. So a little bit of concern there. I want to see Purdy come up and just show a good fourth quarters of efficiency again. Overall, I think 49ers are rightly favourites. I feel like seven points is slightly too heavy, but I do think they'll come through this weekend by a three to five point winning margin, similar to this past weekend. I think slightly higher scoring, something like uh, 30 to 27. Brilliant stuff from Will. Uh, the championship game's on. Talk sport, of course, this Sunday. Live from Passiunk. Uh, <laughs> could get interesting. Um, Let's talk Debo. Mm. Huge, obviously, right? Yeah. So Chad Millman made, well, did the deep dive in terms of numbers that everybody is uh, is spitting out this week. San Francisco regular season 12-1 and one when Debo's playing and playing the full game, winning by an average of 18 points a game. When he wasn't playing, they were 1-4 and four straight up, 0-5 and five against the spread. Samuel... Definitely not as bad as the 49ers thought. Shoulder injury doesn't, it's not a fracture, basically. But here's the quote at the moment. Shanahan, and he could be smoke and mirrors. We all know the, the trickery there, but it's still hurting too much for us to really have an idea how he'll heal up this week. We've got to be patient, see how he feels on Wednesday. Sam and I are recording this on Wednesday. And based on it, if it's improving, it'll give us a better idea whether there's a chance of the game or not. No shit. <laughs> so, but the, <laughs> but the the obvious fear, I guess, is that even if he then, if uh, I'm pretty sure he'll suit up, but will he be Debo ready? Because if he's not, this is an altogether different Brock Purdy and, and 49ers offense. It does seem to be, yeah. Um, you know, you're watching watching Purdy struggle during that game. I mean, obviously, at that point, well, I was a Lions fan and watching, and I don't even know that we're, you know, we have to play the Bucks later and we have to to figure that one out. But watching that one, you don't know who to root for because you don't know who's most vulnerable. You don't know what the, the situation might be. Do I really want to play against this Niners team? No. Do I want Green Bay to break my heart? No. Um, what's happening? But you're watching Brock Purdy really struggle there without Debo, and it does give you a glimmer of hope, doesn't it? It's such a nefarious thing to say, but... If the opposition is without one of its very, very best players and and probably X Factor attacker, yeah, then you know, that's kind of what you root for. I hope he's got a, very, a minor injury that keeps him out of Sunday, and I hope that you know springs out of bed Monday morning and feels right as rain. Where are you on Brock Purdy? He seems okay. <laughs> seems like a nice guy. He seems okay. Um, it's tough for me to evaluate. I just I feel like um, so I'm not. I say I'm a, I'm a Lions fan. I don't necessarily watch across the NFL too closely. Let me reframe but... the, Let me reframe it for you then. So one of the perennial discussion points is, and it has always been this way, the top tier of quarterbacks, the second tier, the third, the, the tiering of yeah. grouping of quarterbacks. He, given the, his early season form and success, and really his early career form and success, divided opinion early midway through the season as to whether he was an MVP candidate and as a result, whether he should be in the tail end of this top tier, right? Now, I think that's kind of revised itself in recent weeks that people are pretty clear now he's not in the Burrow, Mahomes, Allen no. tier. But then you've got that secondary group of Dak and Cousins and these guys, the the 7 to 16 kind of crew. He's definitely in there, isn't he? Yes, he's definitely in seven to sixteen, but that's a nice wide uh, <laughs> compliment you've given him there. 
surely we've got like a top echelon of the, of the top three or four then we should have like another four well do and we then... i mean okay so I let's i want to i want to get into you on this so you've got okay demonstrably borrow my homes 100 you've got to have rogers in there i think i know he's he's a well this season but rogers is going to come back fire next season i think Oh, I really hope not, mate. You know, Lamar has to be in there after this. <laughs> Lamar is Lamar is right up there. Yeah. And Alan, Alan, I I guess has to be too, right? I mean, I think Alan is too. Yeah, it's a lot of sneaky Alan for MVP narratives flying around, which I he's like. so, but he's so good. Like he he has to be. Um, and then of course the the conversation is becomes quite difficult because you're like, well, how how heavily do you weight like past achievements and experience and stuff like that? Yeah, and, and just established brilliance versus something a little bit fresher and a bit newer. Because mm. I'm a Detroit Lions fan. I think Matthew Stafford is fantastic and and has been for a very long time. It might not be the absolute best, but then you're trying to marry up all of what Stafford has put on the table mm-hmm. versus what Brock Purdy has, which is a much yeah. a significantly smaller amount, right? Sure. Um, and then I'm trying to figure out, well, Jalen Hurts, I remember when he was great five weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and Herbert as well, of course. I think I think most people would, in terms of talent, put Herbert in that top tier and have done. Yeah. But at some and point, jo- he's got to start. Because if, if everyone's knocking Lamar, ridiculous, oh, his weakness in the playoffs, oh, you know. Well, Herbert, now Herbert can't help the fact he's with the Chargers, obviously. But yeah. at the same time, the body of work, to your point, it's the body of work that you put up that has to come into the reckoning as well. It does kind of. And I'll just say that I'm actually terrified of Jordan Love. Yeah. Um, I just can't. Oh, yeah. I just can't Love's believe. in that conversation now. I can't believe they've got another one. Like, I've been supporting the Lions for 13, 14 years. And Green Bay had Aaron Rodgers for the entirety of that stretch up until Jordan Love came in. Aren't they due a bad year? What's yeah. going on? And like, far before is... that as well. They've had a good quarterback. Three straight. Quarterback for three, three straight, straight yeah, times. If Jordan, if Jordan Love is what we think he is. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, with Purdy, like, I'm just looking through a list here and like... you got Dak, you got Tua. Who, 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 I mean... who would I rather have? Like, blank slate, who would I... Would I rather have Trevor Lawrence than Brock Purdy? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I would. Would I rather have Jordan Love? I th- I think so. Yeah. Uh, would I rather have Tua? I think so. That's yeah, that's probably a push, I think, but maybe uh, leaning yeah. to it. Similar, actually, in the sense of, you know, rhythm and... Uh, yeah. You know, I, I know Tua's... Not uh, more uh, as ostensibly a game manager is Brock, but look, the next gen West Coast, you, they're kind of close. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think Herbert would be. I think I would take him too, accepting some recent struggles. I think I like what I see in him. Yeah, um, and and obviously then Dak, have, where are you on that? There are fourteen. I told you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think we've got I think we've got three or four at the top, and then yeah, I'm going to yeah. put Purdy in ninth as a random stab. Ninth. Here. I'm going like to put him that. in. I'm going to put him in ninth. I like that. Purdy ninth. What do you guys think, gang? Let us know at the NC show. Incidentally, Sam uh, resplendent today in a Detroit Lions bobble hat. Loving that. And if you want to see that in uh, in Technicolor, head on over to our YouTube channel uh, at the NC show. The NC show is how you follow us on YouTube. We're going to be doing our YouTube subscriber of the week as well. Very excited about that. The numbers are swelling there. Uh, so we're glad to see the following on YouTube. Of course, still way behind our subscriber base on the pod though so go get you obviously you subscribe you listen to this pod right now have you subscribed to us on youtube if not why the hell not you don't want to miss sam ty's bobble hat um, <laughs> it's not it's not even that cold in my house i'm just wearing it for effect love that love i'm that. actually all, sweating all about the business what will you do sam ty if the lions win it's so if smashing the oven after a justin tucker 63 yard heartbreaker what's the <laughs> inverse of that the opposite if you win on sunday and make it to the super bowl well, I've already done my, I've perfected my silent, wild celebration. 
um, because of my newborn. And to right. be fair, a couple of years ago, actually, because we got kittens, I had to calm it right down there as well because they, they reacted very badly to yelping and screaming. <laughs> yes, so I, I'm pretty well trained in um, in doing like a, uh, you know, those inflatable, um, inflatable tube man uh, outside of car sales garages oh, yes, in America. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they, 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 their arms will flop around and go wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm pretty good at doing a doing. silent uh, inflatable tube man celebration nowadays and running up and down the hall to burn off excess energy. Love it. I don't, I don't make a single sound. Nah, it's incredible. Um, it, and, yeah. and I know that my son, appre and I know that my wife appreciates it. And I know that my oven appreciates it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll probably go mad in an utterly silent fashion, which will be just crazy. I, I can't wait for the game. I can't wait for the game if the Lions win, just to see how happy it will make you and Marek and the Lions faithful, as we've established, I think, pretty clearly on the show today. It would be well-deserved, long overdue. And hey, we love an underdog story in uh, in this world. So uh, the Lions would be uh, amongst the prototypical underdog stories in this iteration from that very moment Dan Campbell got the gig and everybody laughed at the Lions. He's having the last <laughs> laugh now. And we love to see that. So be rooting for you on, on Sunday. I hope it breaks down. But as you say, even if it doesn't, uh, breaks down, breaks your way. But even if it doesn't, uh, Freudian slip, even if it doesn't, as you said, the future is looking pretty bright, isn't it? And it's certainly looking pretty bright for you, Sam Ty. Congratulations on your new <laughs> addition to the Ty household. You can catch Sam all over the place. Sky Sports, ESPN, you name it. We'll link to his socials in our show notes as well. Go show him some love over there. And I'm looking forward to having you back on the show very soon, man. Uh, maybe depends if we win. <laughs> what oh, yeah, I will say, what I will say is, my son has only ever seen the Detroit Lions win two for two. He's two for two. He's the lucky charm. Bracken work. Look after yourself, bud. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.